You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. Welcome back, everybody. Happy anniversary to the podcast. This is uh, three years we've been doing this bad boy, and man, I'm just grateful to have uh, to have you guys out there following along these past couple past couple years. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope we keep this thing rolling. And I got a fresh one for you here today with Nolan Tokar. Nolan is um, he's a Wisconsin man. Uh, northern wisconsin where uh he likes to fish on lake superior for coho this time of year and brown trout and lake trout and other things but specifically coho this time of year up on lake superior where he's not going out very far and he's actually doing it from a, a, uh, a kayak which i think is very unique and he teaches us all how to do it He's got a YouTube channel that I highly encourage you guys to go over to take a peek at. He's kind of new to YouTube, but what I think his his topics and his content is about is very to the point, and I think it can benefit a lot of people who maybe don't have a large boat but still want to get out on a big body of water to chase big fish like salmon or lake trout. And um, yeah, we just have a conversation. We get to know each other, and you know, there's some great nuggets of information in here that you guys can use. Uh, if you've ever thought about doing it, there's a lot of safety tips as well, kayak setup and everything else. So um, I just want to thank Nolan for coming on the podcast, and I hope you guys like this episode. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for following me these past three years. So uh, let's get into it. All right. Uh, you know, my dude, Nolan, is it Tokar? Is that how you say your last name? That is exactly how I, how you say my name. All uh, right. Well, hey. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on because, you know, I think it was, a, we've been trying to set this up for a year. Is that correct? Uh, it might've been that long. Yeah. Yeah. I think I you had, started. yeah, you DM me back in, uh, I don't know. I think it was maybe late April, May or something like that. And, you know, you had talked about that bite that we're about to get into here in a little while, um, up in your neck of the woods, but before we get too far down the path, kind of tell everybody, you know, who you are and, uh, you know, where you reside at. Um, well, my name is Nolan Tokar, uh, and I pretty much reside kind of around Lake Nebagaman area. Um, it's basically just slightly south of the city of Superior. Okay. Um, so I kind of sit on that, you know, that southwestern edge of Lake Superior. Um, and you know, there's a lot of great fishing opportunities, you know, you got the ironwood pike chain and stuff like that. And there's all those rivers and lakes around Brule and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good fishing opportunities around here. Um, 
but everyone pretty much goes to those or they go to uh, Lakes in Minnesota and here kind of is a untapped resource. Yeah. And you know what? I'm just, I'm not too familiar with the area, but so you're, you're in Wisconsin, right? Yes. Okay. But I'm pretty dang the Minnesota border. Yeah. So. It's like it all, it's like the kid, it's like where the States meet at the, at like an apex of uh Lake Superior. Yeah. Yep. Like the nose, basically, if anyone's, knows their shapes basically of Lake Superior. Some people call it the wolf or something like that. It's basically like the very tip of the nose. Yep, exactly. Well, cool, man. So have you always lived there? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Grew, yeah. grew uh, up fishing those waters. Yeah. Um, when I went to college, uh, at Michigan tech around Holton point or Holton there, um, you know, I fished some of those waters and then obviously the, north end of lake michigan and uh growing up my grandpa was uh a brule, uh dnr officer and he actually ran the brule dnr for a while and uh he was one of the guys who was instrumental in getting salmon into the Great Lakes. really so was, yep. this, was this back in like the 60s when they introduced him yep wow did he have any cool stories about that um, not, not a ton of stories about that. He, uh, he loved his office cause it, uh, looked out onto the rural river and I got to visit, you know, he was retired for many, many years by the time I was really doing a whole lot of stuff with him. But, uh, he brought me to the inner offices a few, you know, a few times. And so he's kind of responsible for, you know, those fish that you love to catch this time of year. Yeah, he's the one who taught me how to fish for him, and uh, he's. I mean, there was many people who were involved in that whole sure. situation. He was definitely, you know, he was part of that whole program. So, well, that's cool, man. That's uh, that's what it's all about, and kind of came full circle for him. And you know, his, I'm sure at one point it was his hopes that his his future generations and grandkids and things like that would be able to, uh, you know, in, in enjoy the 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 salmon population. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, you know, I think you know the the way that you fish for them is super unique, and I think that uh, a lot of people will be able to benefit from it, especially this time of year. Um, you don't have a large boat, and like a lot of people, a lot of people associate salmon fishing with the fact that like you got to have these big, massive boats. You've got to have, you know, a bunch of as many rods in the water as legally possible. And, you know, th there's got to be thousands of thousands of dollars of tackle and everything like that involved. But, you know, if anybody wants inspiration of how you can catch salmon, uh, they need to go check out your YouTube channel, which is Early Bird Adventures on YouTube. But can we start to kind of break down about, you know, the type of body of water you know, how, how deep are you and, and kind of like how you heard about this bite? Well, uh, usually this time of year you are fishing very shallow. Um, you can go out deeper and there's all, you know, it, it's a great, like there's, there's always going to be fish no matter where you go. Um, but this is the time of year when the water temp, as long as it's below that 48 degrees, they will be in shallow. And part of the reason they're there is they're actually getting ready for the smelt run and they'll feed on the smelt when they come up to spawn. 
Um, the other reason is that's where the warmest water is. And they're trying to, you know, even though they like colder water, they're trying to warm up. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, so like, you know, they're, they're going to congregate more around river mouths and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of guys have many different ways of targeting them. Some guys go, you know, really into the mud. Some guys go out to the cleaner water and, uh, you know, my, I, I like mud, but like, you know, if I, you know, if I'm in my big boat and I can't see my propeller moving, you know, by my, by my motor there, mm-hmm. that's for me. Cause if I can't see two feet down, how are they going to see my bait? You know, okay. um, there's a way to kind of go around that and you can colors, you know, pick certain colors to that shine better in that mud. But, um, I usually like to be just on that, you know, little bit murky, but not unseeable murky. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. And, and like, so when you're, when you're, do you find that trans, you know, transition line, like down here on Erie, we always find the mud lines and like, usually you can like visibly see it in the water. And then, you know, a lot of the times you can get a reactionary bite by staying in the clean water and kind of weaving in and out of the dirt and then into the clean and into the dirty. Um, do you just kind of paddle out and t- try to find that, that clear water? Or do you know ahead of time, um, if the wind's been calmed down for a few days that the water's going to be clear? I mean, it is Lake Superior, which is a lot clearer than most Great Lakes. Yes. Um, but that's another thing about this time of year is because of all the snow melt. Um, and you can see it, uh, there's an, actually a website called Coast Watch yep. Great Lake that you can see the satellite image. Now, obviously that's not hundred percent because the clouds will sometimes block it, but it's actually kind of cool in the spring here to see how that mud's, you know, leaking around the lake, you know, because superior is so clear. Like it's just so defined. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you got rivers like the Nemagi and St. Louis that are pumping out a lot of that like clay and stuff in there. So the cool thing about fishing around, you know, the tip or the, the Nemagian the St. Louis come into, which would be, you know, the Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota entries. Yep. Where, uh, because of all that clay, sometimes you'll get a mud line, but the mud's only the top five feet of the water. Okay. So if you get a bait just below that mud, like you look like you're in deep, deep mud, but it's only five feet down. If you get a bait just below it, like you can hammer some fish doing that too. When you drive, do you like, do you drive through that mud line and you're marking fish underneath and you just know that it, it goes down so far before it gets clear? Or how do you figure that out? Um, I am more a trial and error type of guy. Okay. Uh, just because it's not that you can't fully trust your fish finder. Cause I mean, there's ways to read it, but sometimes that mud is so gosh darn thick. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times too, is the fish are so high up in the water column this time of year you're not going to mark them. So I'm more looking for temp breaks and watching the current, you know, cause the good thing about that mud is like, you can easily see how the current's flowing through there. Right. So it's more me. Okay. I know the water temps this, I know my depth is that, you know, and I can see what the current is. So it's more about reading the water. So I'm, I've, you know, a lot of guys have all these fancy electronics. I, I don't, because I I never use them. 
Yeah. I, you kind of talked about that and alluded it to a little bit in your video of kind of like why you don't go top end, um, on the, on the vessel that you're fishing on there. And we'll get into that too. Um, but one question that I had for you is, you know, when you basically you get in the water as soon as first ice is out, is that correct? And obviously the, the conditions are safe. So, um, you know, obviously this time of year, you know, the water temps cold and the air temps not really, even on warmer days, you know, it, when you're on the water, like the air temp, even though it's like 60 or 70 on, on land, you know, it's still cold out there. Sure. So, I mean, you got to make sure you're, you're dressed properly, even when you're, you're on big boats and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, the, the other thing too, that people don't realize when you start to fish the great lakes, like he was saying, um, you know, when you launch and it's 50 or 60 degrees out, you want to be in a hoodie and things like that. But if you're getting out just after ice had just got out, let's say it's March, early March or something like that, you need to be bringing like your ice fishing bibs and your ice fishing gear, because when you get out in that open water, that's how cold it is. Would you agree? I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. You know, um, you know, sometimes my buddies come up and we'll, we'll hang out for, and you know, we'll be out there and we'll be all bundled up or whatever. And then we get back to shore. They're like, Oh yeah, it's really nice out here. You know, and you start stripping off the closer you get to the dock. Cause you know, you're starting to get land temp because you're getting that heat radiating from the ground. Right. Which is getting sun on, uh, you know, sunshine on it where the water is the water temp because you have such a big body. Yeah. Especially superior. I mean, superior is so damn cold. Even in the summertime, people don't realize how cold superior stays all the time. Um, but so, you know, so first ice goes out, you know, you, you, you're prepping for this, this bite on, on coho and Browns, I believe is what you said that, you know, kind of hit this time of year. Um, you know, obviously river mounts are going to dump warmer, um, water out. Are, do you, can you hone in on like small creeks too? I mean, like the rivers are the obvious ones, but is it really just kind of any inlet of, or, you know, inlet of water that's uh dumping water from inland yep it's yep. it's any anything where you're going to get a sh- outshoot of water coming from snow melt and stuff gotcha so like there's there's a couple spots kind of like by port wing has those big clay cliffs mm-hmm. and so they actually have like holes like halfway down those big clay cliffs so the holes like you know 20 30 feet up or whatever but you see this outshoot of water because the snows melt from the top of the clay cliff okay and it's just coming out from, and even that just, and then part of it is not entirely about the temp of the water. Sometimes it's just that flow, just, sure. just the fact that water's moving. Cause these are, you know, a lot of them spend a lot of times in rivers and stuff. Yep. So like some of my biggest Browns, you know, literally are in, we call them prop wash Browns because okay. you catch them in your boat prop wash. Yeah, man, there's there's a bite like that down here that people swear by. It's the pike bite in the prop wash, if that makes sense. People put their rod in the prop prop wash down here, and uh, you know they, they won't deploy the lure out very far, and the the pike come up and smoke it. Yeah, like I was remember, you know, I was very very young, and I found this spoon that I'm like, oh, this looks really cool. And my grandpa was, you know, we we hadn't been biting anything that day, and he really didn't want to put it out. I'm like, the guy at the bait shop said this, this one's it. And he was letting it out. It was maybe like three feet behind our big motor, which is running, you know, and spitting out all that water. Yeah. 
And here's this coho just going at it. Oh my God. Three feet behind our motor, just trying to hit this spoon. <laughs> Grandpa, listen to me, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. So, yeah, dude, I, I mean, Browns are, I love Browns. I, I've, I don't chase them as much as I, I wish I, I can. I actually chase them more when there's ice still on, um, on some inland lakes down here in the lower part of Michigan that I, that I kind of got lucky with and, and found a unique bite, but in the open water, open water setting like that, that would, I mean, I would love to, to try to get on something like that because I, I mean, just, they're such a pretty fish, you know, they're a very pretty fish. Um, and then two, um, they're kind of a, a, the way they fight is kind of like a lake trout and a salmon. So they got the strength of lake trout, but like lake trout usually like to just they'll grab your bait and just drop down to the bottom and then just basically sit there until they're tired and you can just pull them right up, you know, right as they blow their air bladder out. Yep. Right. Um, which makes them a fun vertical jigging bite, but (laughs) sure. So, uh, so let's get into, you know, your YouTube videos that you just recently put out, I think are super beneficial for folks. Um, especially people who don't have access to a large boat or something like that. Um, Kind of talk about your approach and your setup, if you don't mind, uh, you know, getting into your kayak setup. So one thing when I was setting that up is, one, I have experience from my big belt, so I kind of know what I want to do in that sense, too. But I watched a lot of the videos from guys who went out on the ocean. Okay. Because it's like you're you're basically going on inland ocean, so you got you got to make sure you're ready for everything. What the size kayak? Thing, what what size kayak do you have so that way the listeners can or, or like whatever size yours is? What would be the minimum length? Because they do become you know some are more compact than others. Yeah, this time of year you could probably get away with a little shorter one, but I would still suggest you probably wouldn't want to go less than twelve feet. Okay. Um, 12 feet, you're a lot more stable. They got more carrying capacity because you're going to be carrying a lot more gear with you. Even if you are a smaller person, which I'm six foot four and, you know, pretty stocky. So, I mean, I'm kind of up there, but, um, you, you want something about 12 feet, which isn't that hard to get. Right. Um, what's the name brand of yours that, that, that's been, it's the, the old town, the old town ones. Yep. Yeah, man. If anybody's wants to check out his setup, I mean, again, go to his YouTube sh- uh, page on Early Bird Adventures. But um, you got that thing decked out, I think, in a very efficient way. Kind of talk about, you know, h- how you decided to throw on your kayak what you wanted to after being in a big boat and knew that you could get away with it in a kayak. Well, one rule that any guy who does a lot of this fishing, whether it's on Michigan, Ontario, Superior. There's one rule. You can never have enough rod holders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that. Um, it's just because there's so many different setups. Now, I obviously, I have a little more experience, so like I'm I'm complicating it a little more than I probably need to. But I'm also, one of my things is I love flasher flies. Okay. Um, they're kind of, I mean, lake trout will still hit them, but they're more of a, a salmon and, and uh, trout or, you know, like Browns and Steelhead okay. will be attracted to them a little more yep. than the Lakers. 
Um, so that's kind of one way I signal them out because, you know, Spirit has a lot of Lakers and I necessarily, you know, they're fun to catch, but I necessarily don't want to eat them as much as I do the other fish. Okay. That's, that's understandable. So, um, you know, they're, you know, I'll, I'll keep one or two, you know, every now and then to smoke and do, you know, do a couple lake trout boils cause they're pretty good, but, um, they don't freeze as well as salmon and browns and, and steelhead. I could so, agree with that. So that's why, you know, I like catching them because then, you know, I can, you know, if I catch a laker that day, which is pretty much guaranteed, um, you know, we could throw that on the grill for that night and freeze the salmon and the browns. Right. So, so, so rod holders is a must. I seen that you have on there your, I mean, it looks like they're just basic trolling rods and reels, kind of like what you could, could you get away with like, you know, your same like walleye setup kind of thing, just having a line counter on there, like a seven foot 10 or eight foot three. You wouldn't even need a line counter this time of year. Okay. Um, the, the main reason I have line counters is like, cause like I said, I use a lot of flasher flies and spoons. Mm -hmm. So I'm running, you know, snap weights and stuff. So I, I need to know, you know, how much feed I have out Okay. to know how far down I am. Right. And then I'm just, this is a speculation. I'm just guessing, but I see that you put like green floaties on each rod. Is that because if you go over your rods float? Yes. Yeah. I figured that a lot of guys use rod leashes. Um, I am not a huge fan of them for one reason, because when I do tip and I did, you know, I would highly suggest if you do this to practice deep water entries, you know, so that you're not, you know how to get back on it. If you, cause you're going to flip. No shit. You know, it's, it's like guaranteed yeah. almost. Okay. Yeah. It's going to happen eventually, you know, um, especially like, you know, if you get a big lake or something like that, it's too easy for them to run over to the side and then just, you know, you can flip that way. I mean, you know, you watch a lot of those guys, you know, they say the same thing. It's which I haven't flipped yet, you know, on accident, <laughs> but it, I'm just waiting for the day it's going to happen. <laughs> so you're going into this freezing body of water. That's temperatures are in the low forties. What are you, th- what, what, what is some of the gear that you have on you to stay safe? Because I mean, you go in cold water like that, it's like falling through the ice. Right. So one is I always have inside my hull, I have a dry bag with spare clothes that is either made out of wool or polyester. Mm-hmm. So it pulls the water away from my body. I don't have any cotton in there. And same thing I'm wearing, you know, uh, under armor or Cabela's, you know, long johns that's yep. you know polyester spandex yep and i have a bunch of you know wool i have you know a wool vest over my chest and a couple you know things like that and then i'm wearing what's called a semi-dry suit okay um the difference between a semi-dry versus a dry suit is it has a neoprene gasket instead of a rubber gasket okay um so it's semi-dry because water has to get in the gasket a little bit for it to, you know, seal up properly. Right. Where the rubber would not. I like that better because I can turn my head around a lot easier than the rubber gasket. Okay. The rubber gaskets are a little stiffer and stuff like that. So, like, you know, when I'm going back and forth, check my rods. Now, do you have, like, a PFD that you wear on 
underneath your yes. your jackets and stuff like that? No, you'll see it in my videos. It's actually on top of everything. Is it? Okay. Yep. It's the NRS Chinook PFD. Nice. Um, and then I have a pilot knife and I'll have my Marine radio on either or the shoulders. Yeah, I seen that. I was going to ask about that, what that radio was for. I didn't know if it was for your buddies or if that was to, to, to hit the ship to shore, basically. Yep. Yeah, man, I think safety, you got to be safe that time of year because just because the ice is gone doesn't mean that water won't kill you in some way. Even on a calm day, you know, you can get into uh, you get into some big troubles if you go, if, if you flip that canoe. Or I'm sorry, that kayak. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, that you kind of explained in your video is you know, you were, you were talking about how you try to mimic the setup of what the guys are doing on the ocean to, you know, to, to obviously be stable, but also to be safe. You throw that big orange flag up in the back uh, to kind of just like let other boats know that you're around. That's a good way to, to stay visually safe and visually, be, you know, people can see you if they're they're cruising around out there in their motorboats. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, you're a lot closer to the water, too. So, you know, and I'll tell you, <laughs> I had the one fall, um, I was having an amazing bite, like right at the crack of dawn. So I was launched in the dark in this fall. And, you know, that not only do I have that orange flag, but that has, you know, a very bright 360 LED light, which is, you need legally for Lake Superior. Okay. And, um, at this point I hadn't installed nav lights cause I'm like, I don't want to, cause then you don't need him for that, for that boat. Right. But if you put them on, then you gotta, there's special rules. You gotta follow and stuff like that. And I didn't want to restrict myself that way. Okay. Um, so, you, so you got like an led headlamp on. Yep. I have an led headlamp and then plus the, the flag has a light. So the lights, you know, I think that flag pulls 46 or 50 inches tall. So, you know, it's, it's a ways up in the, the air. Yeah, and the the sun was just coming up, and I was just setting up my lines and everything. And here's this boat that comes around the corner, and he's flying. And I get on the marine radio. I'm like, "Hey, hey, I'm here, I'm here." And he friggin', you know, has the entirety of Lake Superior to the right of me, but he comes within six feet Holy of my kayak. Shit, just going, you know, going like fifty miles an hour or something like that. So I'm like, "Okay, nav lights are going on the next day." <laughs> Man, did he like eventually see you or turn around and be like sorry or anything? Nope. Holy no, shit. I don't think he cared. I think he actually saw me. Oh, that's wild. Cuz like cuz they like waved at me when they flew by. But just like if I would had if I would have had a board out or something like that, he would have ran over that and probably got tangled in this prop and just <sighs> Well, not only that, he could wash you out too with his wake. Oh yeah. You know. Well, cool. So all right, so safety's a must before you kind of head out this way. Um, kind of talk about your setup with uh, your fish finder. What made you choose the fish finder that you did? Um, mainly price wise. Uh, what do you have? I don't. I have the Garmin Striker. Okay. Um, you know nothing fancy. Uh, I think it was a hundred. I was trying to get the four inch one because I'm like, basically, that time of year I, I'm like I need to know my speed, how fast I'm trolling. I need to know my depth and I need to know my, my water temp okay. and the GPS feature is nice, which I think pretty much everything comes with a GPS feature now. So, you know, that's nice because then you can set some waypoints 
especially uh, if you're following a mud line. Um, sometimes they're in, you know, a, a ridiculously small area. Um, so it's kind of nice to, you know, keep going on that waypoint. And then, you know, like for future years, like I have this one waypoint out of this one port. Seems like every year, no matter what's happening, I can go through there and pick up one fish guaranteed. I can't, you know, I'll try to circle it and get nothing, go away, troll somewhere else for a while and get some fish on another waypoint, come back through it on the way back into port, pick up another fish. Like it's, like there's always like something there, but it's just like, so yeah. And the system that you got down is I think very efficient. Um, you know, watching your video when you were, you know, you kind of like get your speed going or whatever that is. Um, and then you start to, this is where your rod holders come in handy. You've kind of got, this is when you start to deploy different things. Like you're deploying, um, lead core off one side without a board. And then you kind of switched and went on the, uh, the port side and you were deploying, uh, another board with lead core and then, uh, or I'm sorry, another pole with uh, lead core. And then you did another one with just like a planer board to kind of separate the two and kind of get out further. You have a lot going on while paddling at the same time. Kind of talk about how, you know, or what your mindset is as you get out there of what, what's the reason and how to stay organized as you're, you know, deploying your rods. So, um, I mean, part of it is practice. You need to get how you feel comfortable. Um, you know, I'm very good with planer boards, so I'm, I'm very comfortable fishing them. Um, I also have, basically, I set mine boards up so that I don't have to touch them, if that makes sense. Um, basically, once they're set, they can go out, and then when the fish hits, I just need to do a little wrist flick, and it releases the front clip, and then the board slides back to a little bead. And then I have only like a two-foot, three-foot leader. So I can reel that all the way up and then net the fish with the board still on it. Like I never have to touch the board once it's set. Gotcha. But you re- you have to reset the board when you put it back out, right? To find your front clip in order to get it to release again? Yep. Yep. And the the nice thing about the boards is um, usually I'll run stick baits off them because then what ends up happening is I'll have either snap weights or lead core on my inner, or, you know, on the ones that are right off my kayak. Okay, yeah. Because what I can do then is let the stick bait off the back of my boat to whatever length I need to get whatever depth I want, clip the board on, and then I can free spool that board back 30, 40 feet. And the stick bait, since there's no tension on it, will just float to the surface. And then I can engage, you know, whatever, how far I want the board out to the side. Okay. And then that board will engage and swing out. So that stick bait will have to die. You know, it takes a little bit to get down to depth. Mm-hmm. So it can go right over top of my weight line. <laughs> How fast are you paddling this entire time? Like what's, what, what speed are you kind of looking for? <clears throat> um, well, that kind of, I go faster because I'm trying to Lakers like a slower speed. So I'm trying to go like two eight. Okay. Um, Sometimes in the fall, I'm going, you know, over three. Um, but usually I like that two eight speed uh, just because, you know, 
one, it's getting more of a reaction bite. And I'm running a lot more spoons and flash for flies, so that's kind of what I want because I have all that flash and, and stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a, lot then, go- it's a lot going on. Like it, when you get a fish yeah. on, you got to think, you still have three lines out. And if one, I seen one in the video, gets that board got smoked and went flying back, you got to keep pedaling at the same time. You can't just stop and reel the fish. Because you got right. other lines out too, so you, I mean, that would be a tangled mess. So it's like you've got to keep up the momentum of if you had a powered boat or a trolling motor on, kind of going on its own route. But you've got to mentally think to like keep pumping your feet to keep going at the same time and reeling, uh, you know, a salmon and a lake trout or a brown trout that are probably some of the strongest fighting fish in the Great Lakes. Yes, um, yeah, it's it's you know. The, the one thing with the board line is I will loosen that drag a lot more. Okay. Which, which, uh, so because obviously I can't watch the board as easy. Mm-hmm. So since the board is planing out, since I can loosen the drag, but cause the board will fight the fish then a little bit okay, yeah. and it'll signal me easier that there's a fish on. So like if a, you know, a smaller coal or something hits it, I still know something's on there. Yeah, and, um, then, and then when when it hits, you know, okay, I know there's a fish on there. I can, you know, slow down my pedal so that relieves some tension on that fish. Okay. And then two, sometimes that change in speed will trigger a strike. Gotcha. Yeah, like, it'd be it'd be like inside turns or outside turns on on boards on like a motorized boat. Just uh, sometimes the change in speed will trigger the bite. I got gotcha. you. Oh yeah. And, uh, salmon prefer like a constant speed more Mm -hmm. and brown trout love variables. So like, um, I fish a lot of, like I said, scatter apps or Yakima maglips or something with that zigzaggy action. Yeah. Cause brown trout love that. That's a good tip. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, last fall I was going for these browns. The biggest brown I hooked last fall, I lost, but I had it. I had a uh, flash or fly on a lead core. I was trolling around for a long, long time. And then I started market fish deeper. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I'll let the lead core out a little more. Just drop it down a little bit. I let the lead core out, you know, another, I don't know, 20, 30 feet. As soon as I engaged it, that thing doubled over and started peeling line out. So that brown trout had been following that flash or fly for a while. And as soon as that flash or fly just all of a sudden stopped and was just like fluttering there, it just smoked it. So then when I engaged it, just gone. So that's probably a lot. I mean, you can mentally think about that more as you're pedaling your feet, right? As like you're going at your speed of 2.8 or or whatever it is. Will you just sometimes just stop for a few seconds and then pick it back up again? Yep. If I I hadn't been hit hit for a while, Uh like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes I'll do exactly that, um, especially if I'm fishing a lot of spoons and lead cores, because the browns like you know like um, really shallow. If I'm going, haven't been hit for a while, they're like, all right, we'll try this. So then I literally just stop, let me slow down like you know half a mile or something like that. So if I'm going two and a half, I'll go down to two, and then all of a sudden I'll just pedal really hard for two three seconds, just so that you know 
that spoon just kind of like slowly flutters down, gets a little deeper, a little deeper. Then all of a sudden it like speeds up really fast. So it's like something's going, trying to run away from them. Right. Now, you know, it's important to know where your bait's at in the water column at all times. As you're pedaling, obviously you probably know how deep they're going to be when you're going 2.8 miles an hour. But you had said that when you got out there, you're more of like a trial and error type of angler. Um, you mark the fish. Are you just trying to keep that above their head or try to keep it in the strike zone? I know you said sometimes they're suspended. So how are you kind of, are you, are you trying different methods with the lead core off of the starboard side versus the port side? Kind of talk about that a little bit. So, um, just because (sighs) early in the spring here, the way they're feeding changes so drastically. Once the smelt come in, mm-hmm. it basically kind of like solidifies and then you don't really need to do as much trial and error. Okay. Um, but usually that's around, you know, mid April, early May time frame. And then once the smelt are here, they kind of set up and you don't have to mess with your stuff, but like the early ice, um, you know, there's a lot of fish and they're all feeding on different things. So sometimes they're focused on a bunch of, you know, one thing for that day. So it's one of the reasons I run so many lines is because I'm trying a different method on all three of them. Okay. To figure out, you know, okay, so then if that setup gets hit, all right, so we'll try fishing something similar on this side and see if both those go. Letting the fish tell you what they want, obviously. Exactly. So one, it's, you know, are they on the top? Are they down on the bottom? You know, so like first dice out, I'll have a flasher fly or a spoon with, you know, a four ounce snap weight. And I'm literally fishing that right on the bottom. And then the other one, I'll be fishing, you know, a clean spoon, which is basically a spoon with no weight on the line. So it's literally like a foot or two below surface. Got yeah. And you just have lead core on that. So the only thing weighing it down is really just the lead core that you have out. No, it would be nothing. It's just straight braid or straight mono just oh, behind okay. a board. Okay. So it's literally on the surface. Oh, I gotcha. Um, and one of the reasons I'll do that is because steelhead love to do that. They love feeding up high. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mainly in spawning mode at that time of year because we yep. only have the one strain on, yep. on Superior. Yep. Uh, so... Um, like as I'm pedaling around, like if I look around steelhead will do Kings will do it too, but they'll do something. What I call it sharking where you'll just see them. And all you see is their back fin just going on the surface. Yeah. Like they're that high. No, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Kind of like staging at the river mouse almost can like the, yeah. the head up that way. Yeah. Um, some <clears throat> similar bite down here when they do it on Lake Michigan. Yeah. So like, early, early spring and fall. Um, especially if I'm on my big boat, like basically my two outside lines are always just a clean spoon on the surface. Okay. Have you gotten any steelheads? Not this year. Um, spring is usually pretty hard until after they're done spawning. Okay. Cause like I said, you'll catch a few, um, you'll get in some like that early June timeframe when they're starting to come back out the rivers Yep. Um, like Memorial Day weekend time, um, you'll start catching quite a few steelhead because they're coming out of the rivers. Mm-hmm. They look beat up to heck. <laughs> but 
they're a whole lot of fun if you get into a batch. I was say they're um, pretty hungry coming out of there. They're hungry. They're a little weaker, but they're you know because they're in like river mode still. They they do a lot of surface surface play. So if you get them like a few weeks later, they'll they'll stay down a little more. But like this time, they're still colored up and they're you know they're jumping around and doing a lot you'll see a lot of like silver flashes on the surface of them zigzagging back and forth behind the boat it's really cool so uh, i mean you've got this kayak that you've got decked out ready to go is there a bunch of kayaks kind of out there doing what you're doing are you kind of original in the in the mindset of staying shallow and, and fishing out of a kayak there's not a ton um there's not a lot of guys out there to begin with but a lot of guys still have that bigger boat Okay. And some of the guys still do the, you know, oh, let's just slide a 14-foot John boat out there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, I was doing that where I was launching out of McQuaid last winter. Not not this one, but the one before. And these guys were, like, looking at me like, you're crazy. I'm like, I'm looking at their little 14-foot aluminum, and there's three of them trying to stick in it. You know, I'm just like, mine's a lot more stable than that. <laughs> <laughs> So why so why the kayak over your motorized boat this time of year? Why I mean, is it just a, a way of fishing that you fell in love with, or what? Um, partly it was, uh, you know, I've I've been thinking about buying one for years, and I just, you know, I had the big boat, and I you always take my family and friends out and stuff, and I just finally, you know, like COVID was kind of starting to happen, and I I finally just said screw it, I'm buying, you know. A buddy offered one really cheap for me, which I ended up selling that one. But um, yeah. I got into it, and even I've surprised myself how much I fell in love with it because it's just so quiet and calm, and you're just you're so much in more into nature. Yeah, I bet, man. Like you were saying, you take your family and friends out in the big boat and things like that. I mean, you're kind of playing host at that time. You know what I mean? Like it's. Yeah, you want to catch fish, but it's more about showing them a good time. But, you know, I feel like the kayak thing is, you know, like you said, very a lot more intimate, one with nature. And it's kind of like your your own selfish way to to just catch fish the way you want to or, you know, you catch the fish and, and not have a bunch of people on your boat. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like, you know, you know, like my mom always, you know, says too, she's like, oh, you like catching fish too much. It's just like, yeah, I do. But I have actually fallen more in love with the planning part of the whole adventure. Like just figuring the pattern out has, has become more of the addiction than, than actually getting the fish in the net. You know what I mean? Yeah. The process of catching it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you're falling in love with that part of it, the fish is just a bonus after that point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's basically, you know, when I take my friends out, I don't reel in the fish anymore. You know, there's been a few times now, like, you know, I'll, I'll take my yearly Door County trip down to, you know, fish those big Kings in Lake Michigan. And it's just like, you know, I get one fish for the full week. I'm down there, but it's always a big one because my friends look at me like, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're a little bit bigger down here, um, in Lake Michigan, but, um, you know, I think, I, I think the fact that, you, you're trying something new, you know, that also keeps you interested in, in fishing just in general, rather than just going out in a boat every single time, like a big motorized boat. Um, 
and it's a lot of thinking and planning. Like you said, like you're not just jumping in a boat where you, you'll feel, you'll feel or be a little bit more safer in dangerous waters or cold temps, but the way that you have your boat set up, you can tell by watching your YouTube videos, there's a lot of thought and planning going into it because not only do you, you, I mean, I'm sure you had a lot of trial and error of setting up your boat of like what worked and what didn't work for your kayak. Um, but you can tell you kind of got it down to a system now. And you, when you explain in your video of why you did things the way you did, it totally makes sense. Um, but was that, was that something that took a lot of, a long time for you to, to figure out like with the trial and error, like what would you not recommend to someone setting up their kayak and, and the keep in mind? One thing I would, I would keep in mind is, uh, try to find one that's track mount friendly that there's a lot of companies that make rods and or you know rod holders and stuff for track mounts now and a lot of kayaks have that stuff already on there you know um they make things so much easier to tweak and you're not drilling holes in your kayak um just like you know you know, because I could I could slide my rod holders and stuff, you know, where I wanted to, you know, exactly where I wanted. You know, I didn't have to drill a hole and be like, oh, that's like a quarter inch too far, you know, right. just a bit too close. You can move it. Um, and I would, there's so many videos of guys out there that you can just be like, oh, you know, because everyone sets theirs up differently. So it's just like, oh, I like that or, oh, you know do some research before you do. Cause I, I did have some where I didn't like it necessarily, but pretty much those rod holders are the ones I bought. I've just, you know, slid them up around the tracks a bit. Okay. Are you going to get so, into the, are you going to get into the trolling motor game at all on your kayak? I don't know. I, That's- I'm, I am pretty much probably not at this point. Cause you're pedaling like a maniac out there, man. You kind of look like, you know, a really good, talented, like almost like a circus act. You're pedaling, you're grabbing rods, you're reeling in fish, you're netting fish. It's like, holy shit, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, a lot of my a lot of my uh, guys at work and stuff say that too, but it's just like it actually doesn't feel that bad when I'm out there. Like, I don't even <laughs> notice it. You know, like, like even when I'm editing the video, it's just like, god dang, it looks like I'm working really hard. But Yeah, it looks like you're on a unicycle pedaling while juggling something. <laughs> but in water. But like, it it doesn't even click in my head when I'm out there. Like I, I don't even realize it. And that might be different for everyone else. But for me, it, it it really doesn't seem that bad. The the hardest time I had was when I actually tried um North Shore steelhead fishing last fall. Um because they get this huge run of steelhead up on the North Shore mm-hmm. of Lake Superior. And I've always been meaning to do it and I just never did it. And, you know, steel had like a fast bait. So like I was trolling three and a half miles an hour for five hours. Jesus. So I was booking on that. And that was the only time I even felt winded trolling like that. Do you feel pretty smoked when you get off the water at like the end of the day? That was the only time I'd, I ever did. Like I didn't feel it till I was on land. Okay. And even then it was more like a sea legs type of feeling that was like gone once I got back to my truck. Yeah, man. It's good um, exercise too while fishing. Keep you in shape. Yeah. It's, uh, 
And that, that trip was a lot of fun too. I actually had two double headers. So on Minnesota side, you're only allowed two lines or on Wisconsin, you're allowed three. Mm-hmm. So I actually had two double headers on that trip too. Wow. So the first time I was out there, I didn't take my recording equipment and I was kind of pissed at it too, because, um, I was trying to do this and I'd been skunked like five trips in a row. So like I was trying to get used to my recording equipment and then I wasn't catching any fish. So I'm like, screw it. I'm trialing this new style of fishing. I'm not going to bring it with me. And yeah, then I man. ended up having an amazing day. <laughs> well, then you start like your YouTube videos. That adds a whole nother element to it. I mean, I know GoPros are kind of just like click and go kind of thing, but at the same time, like when you're reeling in a fish or you're netting a fish, you don't want to smoke your camera. And I mean, you know, it's been, it's been fun to watch, man. Your videos are very intuitive. What made you, uh, have you been enjoying that process of putting out videos? It's been different. Um, you know, I was, I've, I've always thought about doing it cause it's just like, I want to, I want to get people involved in, mm-hmm. in that because one, you know, so many people, it just the period just seems like such an afterthought for a lot of the great lakes when it comes to the fishing aspect, you know, cause you got Michigan and Ontario and they got their big fisheries and, you know, Huron's even got one and, and Erie's got the Wally and the steelhead. And it's just like superiors kind of just seems like so much more of an afterthought. And just like, there's a lot of fun people can have on superior besides just the, you know, walking around the apostles and stuff like that. Well, I think so, the, I think the body of water for a lot of people is just intimidating, right? I think they hear, you know, the shipwrecks that it happened on superior, how mean and angry it can get with a certain type of wind but, you know, like you said, where you're at over by south of Duluth and Superior, Wisconsin, for the most part, is pretty protected. And, you know, you're going out there in a, in a kayak. And I, but I think you're bringing the light to a new way of fishing big water like that, that, uh, you know, as long as you plan it out right, you can stay safe. Right. Well, and then that's one thing, too, with Superior. Because the water's so much colder than some of the other Great Lakes, the fish stay so much closer to shore. So, you know, you don't have to go out in the middle of nowhere to catch these fish. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes on Michigan, you know, they have to go 20 miles offshore oh, because yeah. that's where the fish are. Yep. And Superior stays so cold so long. Um, you know, the South Shore warms up a little bit just because we have a lot more of the, the muddy and clay rivers on the South Shore. So it just heats up more here. So like July gets, it gets pretty hot water-wise in July, but then it starts cooling off. And then in August, you know, the big walleyes come out of the rivers and then you can catch those out there too. So that's a lot of fun. So what's your summer bite look like? Are you, are you chasing walleye at the end of the summer or are you, or like, are you, is it more just lake trout all summer long? What is it? Um, it could kind of be both. Um, the lake trout, obviously you got the apostles and you know, that, that whole system is, kind of more uh there's a lot of currents around the islands so but that's that can be a lot of fun and because of the way it is um there's a lot of you know big laker vertical jigging bites you can get into Mm -hmm. um and then uh i i prefer just because july is usually when i go down to door county to fish like michigan um 
I prefer just leaving them alone for July because I fish, you know, pretty hardcore from ice out till, you know, almost July. Gotcha. So most of June, you know, I'm fishing them pretty hardcore. So it's July is just kind of more main, you know, kind of boat maintenance, giving it a little rest and getting ready for king fishing. So I do some, you know, swapping, you know, swap some of my lighter leaders out for bigger, heavier ones and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then in August I'll fish some of the walleyes for a few weeks and then I get ready for staging coals and, and browns for fall bite. It's basically like it's cyclic at that point. Cause now you're getting back to like the bite you're on now here in March. Uh, it's a co- little different. With, okay. Well, I thought it was similar to the one that you're doing right now when it gets back to be late fall time. No, it's, it's a little, it's similar where you're staying. You're not as associated to the river miles as you would think. Um, they're still kind of close to shore, but like, um, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, are they related to structure or what? Not necessarily. It's more, um, it's a very up and down fishery at that point. Like they're not just like in, in the spring here, they're here. Like it's the bite's not going to be on because they're in spawning mode. Mm-hmm. So it's not a constant bite. So like there'll be days you just slaughter them and then it'll be almost like a barren desert the next day. Oh geez. That's fishing. where like, we're like springtime here. You can, there'll be better days and, and worse days, but like you could pretty much go out and catch fish you know, starting this time of year. Like right. it, it's, you know. Yeah. It's hot and heavy right now. That's for sure. A lot of people describe the fall bite, you know, a lot of times it's folks favorite time to fish, but maybe that's, oh, uh, it's my favorite time to fish. Don't get me wrong. They're a lot bigger. They're a lot, uh, you know, more, you know, cause they're basically more of an aggressive bite. Mm-hmm. So the takedowns are a lot more dramatic than the spring bite is. I bet. And the one frustrating thing about the fall bite is you have all the males with the buck kiped up jaws. Okay. And it is so hard to get hooks in them. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Because you are literally going straight into bone because all the flesh is squeezed out of their mouth to make that jaw. So you literally have nothing in the mouth to hook into. So you got to get a good hook set lose a lot more fish huh yeah it's a terrible hookup ratio and it frustrates me every year (laughs) (laughs) so i end up trying to alleviate some of it and swapping everything to kind of single hooks except you know some of the stick baits but i try to run them less than so like a lot of my spoons and stuff have single hooks on them during that time of year gotcha well good man I i hope you uh you keep putting out video content because, you know, just from myself personally watching it, I learned a ton. And uh, where can where, where can the folks go to to kind of see your videos again? Um, on YouTube, uh, I'm still pretty new at it. And I found out recently that there's other guys who have a similar name, but it's called Early Bird Adventures. Okay. And I will have a picture of me in my kayak holding up a big brown coho right now. Okay. Um, cause there, it looks like there's like a monster truck. So I might, I'll try to figure out how to like get me more 
plus he probably has more videos but it's called early bird adventures um i got several ones out right now um one's about my setup and it's you know old town pdl 120 kayak setup and then i have another one um fall salmon fishing lake superior and then springtime salmon fishing lake superior and either of those should get them to it no, it's good, man. You're showing great content, and uh, I think you're getting down to the nuts and bolts of what people want to see. There's not too much fluff in your videos, which is great. So directly to the point, and uh, you're teaching a lot of you know more people than you think how to fish. So keep it up. Thanks, Nolan, for coming on the podcast, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be in touch, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, go get yourself a kayak. Get out there. And catch some uh, some shallow water salmon and or, you know, lake trout, brown trout. Great time of year right now, uh, especially in the northern part of uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, things like that. Uh, yeah, even in the Great Lakes, too, Lake Michigan. You don't have to go out very far from shore to get into some fish that, um, you know, a lot of folks chase all summer long. This could be your time to do it if you don't have a big boat. If you've got a kayak, be safe listen to the podcast remember those little nuggets of safety information dress warm remember that water still is very cold so proceed with caution but get out there and uh you know see what you can do and also remember to go check out uh nolan's youtube channel which i will put down in the show notes below and check out his uh his kayak setup he did a great job there's a lot of thought put into it and notice like when he's when he's fishing in his youtube videos how organized he is when it comes to like reeling in a fish and how much is going on in the kayak and you know there's a lot more credit to uh kayak fishermen's out there about you know pedaling when you're trolling to keep going at the same time so your lines don't get crossed and reeling in a fish that's fighting there's just a lot going on there and uh mad props to nolan so i want to thank him for coming on the podcast again I said it before, but thank you, thank you for listening these past three years and get some uh, get some other great guests here on the podcast to keep you all informed and inspired to get out there to keep fishing. So in the meantime, all, thanks for listening.